which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Baptism is a symbol of what Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Being lowered in the water represents our old life dying. Life dying. Just as Jesus was dead and buried, our past and future sins are gone forever. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. When we are raised out of the water, it represents our new life in Christ. Just as Jesus was resurrected, we are a we new, are creation. new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Has come. Today, today we celebrate as people, people take, take their next step. step. And tell the world that Jesus has brought them from death to life. To life. To life. Today we celebrate the miracle of a changed life. Based upon their profession in Jesus Christ. In the name, in the of, the name Father, of the Father, the, the Son, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are buried with Christ. And raised, and raised to walk. In newness of life. Newness of life.
good morning. This is the day the Lord's made, and we'll be glad and rejoice in it. Let me mention a couple of announcements as we get started today. And be sure to fill out your connection card and drop it in the offering plate as you're leaving. And you'll notice on the back that we are still, we're going to have a 4th of July luncheon and fellowship. It's actually going to be on Sunday, July the 3rd. It'll be right after the morning worship service, July the 3rd. We'll uh, be grilling hot dogs and hamburgers, and we'll provide everything here at the church. Uh, We'll put out an offering plate for donations to help defer some of the cost of that. But plan to stay afterwards for just a little bit, and we'll have a great time together. And then if you're uh, able to help us out in Vacation Bible School, uh, be sure to check the box on that as well. In fact, there's going to be a a real quick meeting right after the worship service this morning. Uh, We're going to meet in the Disciples' uh, Fellowship Hall, and uh, that'll be just right after the service, real brief meeting. If you can stay and uh, be a part of that, uh, that'd be great. So all VBS workers. And then Tuesday, uh, we're having uh, Tuesday afternoon, we'll be showing the movie Penguins for all the children. And if you know of any children who'd love to come and be a part of that, be sure to bring them Tuesday at 12 o'clock noon. All right. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning, and I'm going to ask Doug to come and open us in a word of prayer. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are in awe of your magnificent power displayed through the entire universe, for through you all things were made, and all things have their being. We praise you for your power, which is beyond compare. And we worship you for your wisdom, which is beyond understanding. You can meet all of our needs. We come before you with grateful thanks and with hearts that long to adore you and worship only you. You are the source of all true and lasting joy. We cannot comprehend the number of blessings you pour out on us from a day-to-day basis. As we gather this morning around your name, we pray that you would fill our hearts our minds, and our souls. And as we meet today and as we move through this week, we ask that you provide wisdom, guidance, and direction. Lord, may we know the presence of the Holy Spirit here with us today. And may we be open to your leading, sensitive to your speaking, and alert to your calling. Father, we invite the same power that was at work when Jesus was raised from the grave to be present with us here now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God has opened the gates of life so that all may go in through Jesus our Savior. Let's sing about the great glory of God. Open your hymn books or look up on the screen to hymn number 56. To God be the glory. Please stand.
worship uh, scripture reading for this morning comes out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. Please read these words with me about the father's instruction to his son. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. May God bless the reading of his word. As we go to the Lord in our prayer this morning, uh, we want to continue to pray for Rudy Martinez, uh, who is home. Larry Ingram is also home. Uh, Bill Guzzi, we're going to pray that he comes home on Tuesday. That's our prayer uh, from the VA. Uh, Joan Williams' husband, Richard, is home on hospice. Uh, Det Jenkins is home. We're thankful for that. Um, And for Kay Prince going through rehab, too. Uh, For those who are living in our senior living facilities... Our Flo Smith, Winona Anderson, Lorraine Bellranger, and Tony Myrick. And our homebound members are Dudley Perry and Cindy Bellmeyer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on this Sunday in June when we celebrate fathers, we gather here today to give thanks. Thank you, Father, for those who, uh, who loved and supported us as our dads. There's nothing so precious as a father who leads his family with love and grace and self-sacrifice. And you're good that you've given us fathers. And we pray today for those who may be struggling on this day. Maybe their dad was absent. And Father, we pray that maybe he may not have been nurturing, but we pray, Father, that uh, you'll strengthen us in realizing that you truly are the Heavenly Father that we all need. And your love is able to heal any, any and all wounds that may have come. Father, we pray that uh, you'll bring a healing touch to all of those that we mentioned this morning in, in, our ter- in our time of prayer, that you know their need, you know their, their doctors, their situation, and we lift them up to you because you're the great physician. We pray, Father, for all the men and women who serve in our military. We're thankful for their service and their commitment. Today, we pray for Omar Silva, Sean Carnes, Colin Graves, Adna Mauricio, Tyler McCarty Cogis, Joshua Davis, Nathan Hayes, Colby Hayes, Devin Guzman, Matilda Pritchett, and Jason Maxey. And Father, we're thankful for firefighters and police officers who serve in our community. We pray for them as well and their protection. Father, it's a staggering realization to know that you, the great creator, that you love us with an everlasting love. Father, you brought us out of guilt and into your forgiveness, out of darkness and into light, out of death and unto life. And your love for us is infinite. It is immeasurable. It never grows cold. Thank you for being our Heavenly Father. Father, we pray for families who are struggling during this time of economic struggle. And Father, we just pray that you'll help bring relief. Today we come lifting ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. Help us to be mindful, Father, 
that every day we are to give our hands, our feet, our eyes, and all that we are to serving you. Today we, we trust in your promises, rejoice in your faithfulness, we hope in your word, we believe in your Son, and we rest in your grace. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please join me in singing uh, page 93, God our Father, we adore thee, as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion.
importance of our Christian faith is that we have a loving Father who deeply cares for us as well as Savior who gave his life for us. Our communion scripture this morning is from the book of John, chapter 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Let us pray. Father God, you have called us to be a people of your own self. And so help us to unify in spirit and in purpose to do the things you have appointed us to do. And this includes partaking and participating in the Lord's Supper as a body which we are commanded to do. Since this is your body, the church, we know that you are present within us and that you are in each and every one of us. You are all and in all. Let us remain quiet in spirit and in movement, God, showing deep reverence for such a sacrament. Help us stay focused on the bread and cup and to think about these symbols. Lord, the body and the blood both poured out as a drink offering for a once and for all sacrifice. We are overwhelmed by your amazing grace, God, that we cannot express in words or prayer how wonderful your ways and awesome you your blessings we thank you lord for the bread and the wine and what this means to us and what they tell us about our eternity but more so what these meant for christ and these are no greater there was no greater love ever shown lord in all of human history and so in in a spirit of unity we all now partake of the wine and the bread and give you the glory of your amazing grace. In Jesus' most beloved name, I pray. Amen. Receive from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Please join us as we worship the Lord and his wonderful characteristics with immortal, invisible, God-only wise. from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let us pray. Great God in heaven, you remind us to focus our ability on first loving you. Then you urge us to reflect that love toward our neighbor. Create anew in our heart a burning desire to care for your children. Encourage us to follow the caring ways that Jesus taught. Multiply these tithes and offerings so acts of tolerance and hospitality are extended through our ministry to all of your children. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. It is page 829 in the Pew Bible. 829, if you would like to follow along in the Pew Bible this morning. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verses beginning at verse 1, going through verse number 4. Very familiar passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, on this Father's Day, we uh, open up a passage of Scripture that really gives us some, it seems like a very simple direction, but yet there's some very profound things that I believe very helpful for us in our Christian walk and faith. Open our hearts and minds and be receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story about a little girl. She was sitting in church with her dad. And um, she was watching, and it was her first time in big church with her dad, and she's watching the ushers pass the offering plate, getting closer and closer to her. And uh, she sees her dad reaching for his wallet. And she said, Dad, she says, Dad, remember, you don't have to pay for me. Kids get in free. Well, today's Father's Day. And today we're going to celebrate dads. We're going to celebrate and honor our dads as we should. You know, one of the most memorable moments in life is that moment when you're in that labor delivery room and you're holding that first child in your arms and you suddenly realize, I'm a dad. I'm a parent. And, and there's no sweeter sound than to hear a child come up and say, Daddy. Those are very important, very memorable moments. And, you know, I believe that it's God's desire that parenting and being a father should be the, the most enjoyable, the most heartwarming, um, the most um, wonderful experience in life. I, I think it is God's desire that, that being a, a father of children should be as enjoy that we should enjoy being a father as much as God enjoys being a heavenly father. And it is fun, it is enjoyable, but it has it has its challenges. And because it has its challenges, we all need a little help. And that's why we always turn to the word of God because we need help from the Lord. And we're going to look at a passage this morning that it certainly appears to be simple uh, a simple um, in ex- exhortation to children, a very simple exhortation to fathers. But I must say, don't let the simplicity of this passage fool you because this passage gets right to the heart of what we need to know about being a parent and being a dad. And it's going to answer, I think, one of the most important questions we can ask as a Christian family. What is God's formula for being for a blessed family or a, a good, healthy family that we enjoy being a part of. And every aspect of a child's development is affected by how carefully and how faithfully we 
follow and apply this passage. You know, there are many good um, common sense parenting principles that are out there, but all of them really come, they all have their source in this passage right here. So what I want to do this morning, we're going to look at two things, because the passage obviously divides into two parts. We're going to, first of all, focus on children and their role and responsibilities. And then we're going to focus on fathers and uh, a father's role and responsibility in the home. So let's take a look. First of all, let's look at the role and the responsibility of children. And I want you to notice the first word, the first word in this chapter is what? Children. Isn't that interesting? That as Paul is writing this letter to be read in the church, he expects children to be sitting in church with their family, their parents. And why is, is it important? Do you think it's important for children to be in church? I mean, where else are they going to learn, for example, to, to open up their Bibles to a uh, particular book and to a, a specific chapter and, and to follow along in a, a Sunday school lesson or in a church service? What better place than in church? For children to be. And where do, what better place for children to learn how to pray than in church? You know, a couple of years ago, a, uh, a movie came out. And there was a line in this movie that I've never forgotten. It, the, the movie was called Gravity. I don't know if you remember that. It was, I think, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. They're astronauts. And they're uh, in the space shuttle going up to repair the Hubble telescope. And there's a space debris that destroys the shuttle. And they're kind of left hanging out there because uh, they're doing a space walk. And they're out there all alone now. And so they kind of maneuver their jet packs over to the space station. The long story short is she ends up in a, I think, a Russian or a Soyuz space capsule. And she's trying to get back to Earth. And she's realizing that her situation is it's really hopeless. Her demise is soon. And she makes this statement I've never forgot. In a secular movie, she says, she says, I need to pray. But no one ever taught me. I don't know how to pray. No one ever taught me. Is it important for children to be in church? Where are they going to learn to pray and learn how to study and read their Bibles? And so Paul, he believes... Children should be sitting in church. And he says, children, and here's the command, obey your parents in the Lord. So when your parents instruct you to take out the trash or feed the dog, whatever your parents instruct you to do, what is your obligation and responsibility? Obey. Obey your parents. But he doesn't stop there. This is important. He doesn't just say obey your parents. He gives Three reasons why you should. Why should children obey their parents? Three reasons. Notice, reason number one, he says, for this is right. What he means by that is, this is God's created order. In God's universe, there is, uh, let's call it a chain of command. You have God at the top, and then underneath God are your parents, mom and dad. And then underneath your parents are the children. Under the children's, your cat, your dog, your fish, you know, your hamster and all that. But children are third in that rank. And that is God's created order. And if for no other reason, 
then that is God's created order, and that's the right thing to do. That's the reason you would always want to obey your parents. Now, I must say that when I was growing up, my dad regularly reminded me of God's created order. Sometimes I would say, uh, I'm going out tonight, and my dad would say, I want you home by 10 o'clock. And I'd say, what? 10 o'clock? All my friends get to stay out till midnight. It's Friday night. They're all staying out till midnight. Why do I have to be home by 10? And you know what he would always say? Because I said so. And then he would say, and as long as you're living under my roof, under my ru- you're living under my rules. I mean, that was it. This, this, that was the order of, of uh, the chain of command there. You know, sometimes young people will say, but you don't know my parents. My parents are so unreasonable. My parents are, they're unfair. My parents, they're so, they're so um, old-fashioned. They still use a flip phone. You know, why should I listen to them? Listen, God, God doesn't say, obey your parents if they're reasonable or if you think they're fair. God says what? Obey your parents in the Lord. And let me say something to young people. Let me say something here. Young people, let me, parenting is a tough job, all right? In fact, the most difficult years as an adult the most difficult years are those years of parenting. And I want, to, they really are. And many times as parents, a parent, your parents sometimes feel uh, inadequate. They, they, they have doubts. Am I really doing a good job? And they struggle with a lot of that. And there are really, there are several things that you can do as a child that will help your parents. Help them feel successful and help them feel confident that they're really doing a good job. For example, one way you can do that is encourage your parents to talk about their problems. You know, uh, you know, growing up, for parents, things like buying groceries and gas in the car and paying the bills, that's important to them. Encourage your parents to talk through some of the problems that they're struggling with. Another thing you could do is... Um, Try to understand their music. Now, I understand it's slow. It, it's a little boring. But if you'll just, you know, just listen to it a little bit, you'll, uh, you'll grow to appreciate it. And then always be tolerant of their appearance. You know, when your mom comes home with a new hairdo and your, or your dad comes home with a haircut, don't try to hide them from your friends. Always understand that it's important to your parents to look like their peers. And then last of all, Always, always remember, oh, if you catch your parents doing something, uh, I was, put it this way, always be patient with your parents. For example, if you, if you catch your parents, if you catch your mom speeding, or you catch your dad, uh, if you hear your dad saying a foul word, don't climb all over them about it, all right? You just quietly set a good example. You can do so many things that will help your parents to feel like they're really doing a good job. And any help you can give them is always welcome and accepted. So, Paul starts off by saying, young people, children, obey your parents. Now, in verse number 2, he says kind of the same thing, but differently. (laughs) He says, honor your father and mother. That, by the way, is a quote out of the fifth commandment from the book of Exodus. 
And the Hebrew word translated honor in the Old Testament is a word that literally means heavy. And the point is, always give weight to your parents' counsel and guidance and direction in life. Give your parents more weight than you give anyone else. And so, give that important. Now, and that brings us to another reason. Not only, here in verse number 3, really, not only should we obey our parents because it's right, but notice, in verse number 3, he says, that it may go well with you. Now, what does he mean by that? It will go well with you. You know, if you're interested in living a meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, prosperous life, then obey your parents because it is in the home. As you obey your parents, you learn things like respect, uh, responsibility. You learn about relationships. In the home, as you honor your parents and obey them, you learn all the things that are essential for living a good life. Let me give an example. Um, when, I, when a couple comes to me for premarital counseling, one of the questions that I will always ask them, I will say, I will say, tell me about your fiancé's relationship with his parents. Sometimes that generates some interesting conversations. For example, if they say, well, you know, he kind of has... There's a lot of conflict between him and his parents. There's a, um, there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of friction between him and his parents. And I'll make the point. I said, you know what? He's going to bring that baggage into your marriage. If you want a marriage with friction and fighting and conflict, that's the guy to marry because that's the only kind of relationship that he's grown up with and that he knows. If that's the kind of relationship with the, that he has with his parents, he's going to bring that baggage into yours. And not only that, he's going to bring that baggage into every relationship like at work. He's going to, everywhere he works, there's going to be friction and conflict and fighting. And by the way, how long have you guys been, how long have you been dating and known each other? Oh, about a year. How many jobs has he had over that year? Eight. Well, yeah, but it's always the other person's fault, you know. He just can't find a job where he gets along with people. And the problem here is, if we want to live a meaningful, fulfilling, and uh, a good life, as Paul says here, obey your parents and marry somebody who also obeyed their parents. And by the way, that brings us to the third thing. So, reason number one, why should we obey our parents? It's right. It's the way God created order. Number two, it's, it'll go well with you in life. And then number three, go back a slide. I'm sorry, Alan. Go back a slide. Number three, the third reason is that you may enjoy a long life. Do you know that if you obey your parents, you'll live longer? Oh, come on. You've got to be kidding me. No, seriously. Let me give you an example. And maybe it's a little bit on the extreme side, but I think it works. Let's say you have two children growing up in the same home. Let's make them both brothers. Two boys growing up in the same home. Same parents, same schools, same church, same neighborhood, growing up together. One is obedient, compliant to his parents. Uh, He's always giving good uh, weight to his parents' guidance and counsel. 
Uh, he works hard at school work. His parents encourage him to do well in school. He, he does everything his parents inqu- uh, uh, command or <laughs> give him orders to do, you might say. And he graduates high school. He goes on to college, graduates college. He marries a, a fine Christian girl. And he goes on to live a good, good, healthy Christian life. But his brother, his brother is disobedient, rebellious, defiant. When his parents say, well, I want you home by 10, he comes home at 11. He hangs around the wrong crowd, gets in with the wrong groups. He ignores his parents' guidance and counsel. And then one night, his parents say, I want you home by 10 o'clock tonight. Instead, at midnight, he's still out, riding around with his friends, and they're out drinking. And they get into a car accident, and he's killed. If he would have obeyed his parents and come home at 10 o'clock, he'd be alive. Children who obey their parents live longer, live better, live healthier lives. They have a better marriage. They make more money. They just generally do better. Always remember, your parents have your best interest at heart. Always. And let me tell you, one of these days, the shoe's going to be on the other foot. And you're, going to, and, and you're going to say to your children things that you said you would never tell them. You know, when you're growing up, you're saying, Oh, I'm not going to make my kids come home at an early hour. I'm going to let my kids, I'm going to let them stay out all night long if they want. Yeah, right. And one day the shoe will be on your foot and you'll understand. All right, so why should we obey our parents? Well, it's the right thing to do. It will go well with you. You'll have a much better, more prosperous, better life. And you'll live a longer life. Now, let's look at the second half of this passage, all right? Here we're talking about parents, um, their role and responsibility. Verse 4, fathers. And he's talking to fathers. Now, understand the context here really is about parents in general. I mean, in verse number 1, he talks about obey your parents parents and then in verse 2 he talks about honoring your father and your mother but I believe he's addressing fathers here specifically because it is the father's responsibility to take the lead in parenting and so anyway he says two timeless principles he says fathers one's negative the first was negative do not and then the second one is positive let's look at these First of all, the negative. Do not exasperate your children. Now, the word exasperate has the idea of making them angry. Now, <laughs> there's no way that you as a father or a parent is going to raise children without making them angry. I mean, that's just part of growing up. Anytime you establish rules and boundaries, you're going to make your children angry. That's, that's not what Paul is talking about here. This word, is much more than just an anger. We're talking about a deep-seated anger. We're talking about parents who are able, through bad parenting, create more of a, a settled anger in their children. We're talking about a, a disposition where a child is frustrated, resentful, and they have this abiding and permanent anger within them that they carry into life. What Paul is laying out here is something that's really quite frightening. 
He's talking about children who grow up in a society where they have this settled, abiding anger. And it begins to act out in society. And we're, we're seeing some of that. As you look at the society that we're living in today, we are seeing more violence, we're seeing more crime, and it's committed by younger and younger people. What Paul is laying out here is very, very frightening. And I'll tell you, the farther we as a society, the farther we drift from Christian values, Christian principles, Christian ideals, the farther we drift from Christian uh, teaching, the worse it is going to get. Because it is the Christian faith that enables us as Christians to raise our children in a way that is encouraging them, inspiring them, and motivating them to live in an adult, responsible way. And every society is always better off when there are Christian values and Christian principles that are being taught, whether it's at home, and I think it should be taught in schools as well. So Paul is saying, don't exasperate your children. Now what he's going to do so that we don't do that, he's going to give us a re- how, how to avoid that. Here's how you avoid that. He says, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This is the positive side. Now, I'm going to break this down into three sections. We're going to look at three things here. The first one is, bring them up or raise them up. This is what I call a balance between dependence and independence. The word bring them up or raise them up is a term of gradual increase. And you know, as parents, one of our responsibilities is to gradually move our children from dependence to independence. We are to prepare them for life so that they can launch out onto their own. Now, this is not easy to do because children, in one respect, they need to feel that we are we're engaged with them. They need to feel that we support them, that we're hands-on, that we're always there. Uh, if they fall, that we're there to catch them. And that no matter how successful or unsuccessful they are, whether it's in sports or academics, we are always there to catch them, support them, that our hands are right there for them. They need to know that. They have our unconditional support. But at the same time, at the same time, they need to feel that we trust them. That we trust them enough to take our hands off and let them make some of their own decisions. And that's, that's the balancing act. That's, that's not easy to do sometimes. Knowing when to have a hands-on and, and a hands-off as a, as a father and as a parent. <laughs> I heard about a, 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 a young man who went off to college. And uh, his mom felt that she really needed to write the dean of the university a letter. And so she writes him a letter where she is explaining to the dean that she really... She would really appreciate it if he would kind of watch over her son. She said, would you make certain that he does his homework every night and, and that he eats three square meals a day and he, he's getting his eight hours sleep at night and he's going to church on Sunday. You know, she writes the dean this letter encouraging him to take more of an interest. She said, and, and, and that's because she said, this is the first time he's ever been away from home except for the three years he spent in the Marine Corps. You know, there, there, comes, there comes a time when you have to cut the apron strings and say, you know what, they're on their own. 
But we have to balance that. We have to, because we have to balance dependence and independence. We, we want to be careful that we don't, uh, we don't make them so dependent they never leave home. But we don't want to make them so independent that they leave before they're really ready. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, let's look at the next thing. The next phrase. Training and instruction. Here we have a balance between discipline and counseling. The word training here has the idea of uh, chastening. It is the word for discipline. Uh, enforcing boundaries. Establishing rules. We're talking about firmness here. Training them. The word instruction is more the word for counseling. It has the idea of listening, talking things through, hearing them in their point of view. And so counseling is when we listen. We listen, we hear their point of view. Discipline is when we enforce the boundaries. And so Paul's advice is we have to balance that. We have to balance between uh, establishing the rules and the boundaries and the counseling. Because if we focus on one or the other, if we're too heavy one way or the other, we're going to exasperate our children. For example, if all we do is focus on the rules, if all we ever do is emphasize the rules and the boundaries and this is the way it's got to be, we are forgetting that our child, that our children are human beings. They're not dogs that we're trying to train so that every time we say something, they jump to it. They're people. They're human beings. But at the same time, if all we ever do is focus on counseling and uh, that aspect, well, trying to reason with them, what happens a lot of times is that children get the impression that, well, if I don't agree with you, I don't have to obey and I don't have to listen. And that's a problem. And that's a big problem today. So the principle of balancing discipline and counseling, really, it, it really goes back to the Old Testament. I want to read to you from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to these words and you'll recognize them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments, here we go, these commandments, those are the rules, those are the boundaries, these commandments I give you today, they are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Now what he means by that is, enforce the rules. Impress these boundaries on your children. Make sure they know that. Here we're talking about training. Impress them on your children. But then he goes on to say this. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. What's he talking about? He's saying, now you reason with them and you counsel with them. It's a combination. It's a mix where we establish rules and boundaries, but at the same time, we counsel them. So Paul says, balance, discipline and counseling. And then the third, notice, a balanced Christian life. Here Paul says, uh, that we are to raise them in the Lord. In the Lord. We have a responsibility to raise our children in knowing the Lord. It is... Um, let me move over here, Robbie. It's becoming more and more... 
of a problem today where parents, parents are uh, coming up with ideas, well, um, well, I don't want to impose my religion on my children. Uh, I don't want, I want my children to make their own choices and their own decisions about what they want to believe. Are you kidding me? That is, that is the formula for disaster. It's, that's nonsense. You know, let me give you an example. We, we have a church garden. And it's doing great. I don't know if you've seen some of the amazing vegetables we've been able to harvest this year. We have an amazing garden. It, we've actually started it 10 years ago. And we started off, it went great for several years. And then we, we had a problem with nut grass and some other things. And, and so it, it lay dormant for about three years. Guess what grew in that garden for three years? Weeds, nut grass and weeds. It was overrun with weeds. You know what grows in the minds and the hearts of children when you do not plant the gospel seed? Weeds. That's what grows. In fact, studies are showing more and more that parents, parents who give no moral direction, no spiritual direction to their children, parents who let their children make up their own direction in those regards, frustrate and exasperate their children. Studies show that parents who bring their children to church, who give their children direction, who establish boundaries and guidance in life, those are the parents who really raise children that are spiritually and mentally healthy. And our children need to see us living the Christian life. They need to see Jesus in us. You know, Howard Hendricks was my professor in seminary, and he always told us, he said, be a contagious parent. And what he meant by that is that as our children see Jesus in us, they will want Jesus in them. And it is, it is our Christian faith that enables us to parent children in a positive, constructive, and a healthy way. Because we're able to balance dependence and independence. We are able to balance uh, instruction and or discipline and counseling. And we are living a balanced Christian life. It is our Christian faith that gives us the ability to raise children in a healthy way. So here's what I want us to take home with us today. Obedient children and nurturing parents are what make for a blessed family. That's really what it comes down to. Obedient children, nurturing parents make for a blessed family. One more thought. I I was raised in a Christian home. And I was given guidance and direction by my parents. And as a result of that, I believe I had an advantage over a lot of other young people that I grew up in high school with because they learned the hard way. You know what I mean? Going through life, making some serious mistakes. You know, we have such an advantage as Christians as we raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord because we are giving them a head start in life. But the first step, the first step is, of course, being a Christian yourself and knowing the Lord. If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, do that today. Put your trust in him as your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these, well, they're simple words, but yet they're very profound in so many ways. And I pray, Father, help us to take to heart uh, these great words and be an encouragement to all of us who are, who are parents. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's stand and sing hymn 480, Only Trust Him. We'll sing stanzas one and two. So sing it like you mean it. Somebody, uh, I'll be up front. Our elders are here, and uh, we'll be glad to pray with you and talk with you about any need you might have. Let's have a closing prayer. Father, we are so thankful that you love us and that your love for us is a great example of how we can be loving as well. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. What a perfect hymn after Pastor Scott's sermon on parenting. God, give us Christian homes, homes where the Bible is loved and taught, homes where the master's will Give us Christian homes. God, give us Christian homes.